Welcome. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Chris McCarthy uh, will not be joining us tonight, but he will be back tomorrow. Looking forward to hearing from him again. But we are joined in studio by Will Senat of the New Bedford Light. Uh, will has worked with New Bedford Light and ProPublica um, to uh, to put together this um, comprehensive and I think I'd maybe classify as uh, devastating report on the foreign capitalization uh, and uh, private equity uh, capitalization of the local fishing industry and how it affects our um, working for uh, working class uh, seafood uh, workers. Uh, will, thanks for joining us. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Marcus. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so um, it took you, uh, you know, you, you did a lot of research. It took you a while to get the story, uh, to get the story together. Um, what's some of the background? Like, how did you, uh, what, what did you guys do to get the story together? ProPublica is uh, a national publication. It's, it's a really big deal for a local um, publication like New Bedford Light to work with ProPublica. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's safe to say that the fishing industry is uh, anything but transparent. Um, you know, we all know this. We live in New Bedford. <laughs> we, yeah. we see it every day, right? Yeah. But it's hard to understand what's really going on on, on the waterfront. Um, we, we, we started this story, really. We had heard on a local level that private equity, you know, this is at um, public hearings, just, talk, you know, essentially doc talk. Uh, private equity was really coming to dominate the fishing industry in, in New Bedford. And we wanted a chance to really dive in and investigate that. So we partnered with ProPublica, which, you know, they're a big national outfit and kind of gave us the chance to look at one story for a long time and really wrap our heads around it. And yeah, I mean, it was a challenge getting information, but we had a lot of time. And, you know, at the end of the day, we um, found some pretty interesting things. So we were talking a little bit about this um, and uh, the percentage of the catch that um, the workers, uh, the the captain, the crew uh, make as opposed to the um, total price of the catch per pound, um, I think that was pretty disparate. So, um, you know, what did you guys discover with that? Yeah. So, I mean, the private equity model, it's not something we're unfamiliar with in yeah. America, right? right? I mean, we've seen it with shoes, we've seen it with toys, and that is you know, buy up an ind you know an industry you know through investment, um, and essentially restructure it, gut it. Um, you know, and it's a complicated thing in a place like New Bedford that does need investment, right? I mean, a lot of the facilities in the port are old. Yeah. Um, but you know, when private equity buys up an industry, it takes the axe to it, and you know, <laughs> one of the the um, biggest expenses for any company really is its you know labor cost of yeah. wor workers. So. We saw a few things uh, in that in that in that lens, and you know, largely, and it's quite complicated. We can't get into it if you want, but um, the way this company's been able to expand is largely by uh, pushing the burden of those costs onto people employed on their the vessel with little option really, but to work right. on their vessels. Yeah, actually, can we talk a little bit about that? The the expenses that you that uh that the crew has to incur for the company's boat. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we saw this uh, really looking at uh, settlement sheets. You know, that's like the fishing industry version of a, a pay stub. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they were volunteered to us by by fishermen in the industry working for companies back, you know, owned by private equity firms. Um, and it's quite stark. You can see it really break down the division between what the company is getting. Um, you know, that can be as much as $6.44 when you look at the you know federal contracts they have with the the government to supply fish. 
Um, and, you know, line item after line item being broken down uh, until, you know, the captain might get 14 cents a pound and the crew most often less than seven cents a pound. So right. it's, it's quite stark. The, the real, you know, you see the disparity of wealth right there between what the, the owners share, what the company is making and what is paid out to their, their workers individually. We're speaking with uh, Will Senat of the New Bedford Light, who worked with ProPublica to um, put together a report on how private equity has uh, essentially, you know, um, squeezed the capital uh, of the, you know, the the enormous profits the New Bedford fishing industry uh, at the expense of the local, um, the local fishing, the seafaring workforce that we have here. So, you know, we were talking about the. Um, you were talking about a particular family um, and a particular company that had uh, a lot of shares of um, the money that's being made uh, on the New Bedford waterfront. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So sorry, we should probably. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit here. Let's oh, back are we? up. Sure. Uh, okay. The, oh, no, you're right. <laughs> that's the, um, so the port of New Bedford. I mean, it's the number one fishing port in the United States of America. You know, I mean. There's a difference between what's landed at the docks, that's about half a billion dollars a year in raw fish, scallops, and the actual value, which is the value after you know the fish is processed and sold at the market rate. And the total economic value of the port, and this is based on the port's own own, own reports, um, is you know eleven billion dollars. That was in yeah. 2018. You know, it is the number one, uh, you know, the top earning commercial fishing port in the United States. We see it with all the boats in the harbor, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the question really is how much of that really stays in New Bedford? Where does that go? And, you know, I mean, you think about private equity, it, you know, they're kind of sharks of capitalism, right? I mean, they that, that, the sound of that big money port probably, you know, created the scent for, yeah, for the frenzy. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, the, the few companies here, I mean, one is Blue Harvest Fisheries. They have quite a big facility on the waterfront. It's, you know, right off uh, Route You can 18. see it when you're driving down 18, yeah. right? And uh, so let's talk about them. I mean, they're kind of the most obvious one. We've heard, you know, some quiet, we saw some quiet, um, you know, kind of like quiet investment in local companies. Like there's one real estate firm in Ohio that, <laughs> that was essentially owned, you know, one company. And um, But Blue Harvest is really the biggest example. They're owned by the private equity firm Bergal Partners. That's man a Manhattan-based private equity firm. And, you know, when we went to the story, we were thinking, you know, faceless Manhattan skyscrapers, right? Yeah, I mean, that's right. what everyone thinks about private equity what was interesting about Blue Harvest is that, and Bergal Partners, is that they actually weren't faceless at the end of the day. They they are um, essentially an investment arm of a very, very wealthy family in the Netherlands. They're, it's hard to say exactly, but you know we've read reports saying they are the wealthiest family in the Netherlands. They're, we tried to you know crunch their you know net worth quite a few ways. Uh, we got anywhere between 20 and 30 billion. Okay, wow. You know, so you can cut that, like, I don't know, 15 Kanye Wests, you know, a <laughs> yeah. third Jeff Bezos, Bezos, you know, you can, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's yeah, 20 LeBron James. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Unfathomable wealth, you know, it's, yeah. um, and yeah, I mean this family essentially folded, you know, the biggest, biggest, the single largest groundfish holdings in the new England fishing industry into their global portfolio. Wow. They own quite a few things. Um, you know, we can talk about this more if you'd like. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, they, uh, it's an interesting family. I mean, the, uh, on one sense, you know, they they are major donors to environmental initiatives. I mean, they, they seem to be in the class of what you'd call, and I quote here, the good billionaire family. You know, that's, uh, you know, philanthropic <laughs> in every way. Um, they have a, a, a foundation, the Louds Foundation in the U.S., which 
donates to causes specifically at the intersection of climate change and inequity, okay. inequalities in wealth. And, you know, you look at, you know, their, their holdings, what they've made their money in, it's, you know, largely real estate, that's shopping plazas and all over Europe, really, but largely from their uh, retail uh, retail shops, it's a company called C&A, it's, more, it's bigger in Europe, um, but it's a industrial global clothing manufacturer with sweatshops in mostly in Bangladesh, other right. places, you know, places where labor is the lowest and most desperate. Of course. And, you know, it was shocking for us, I mean, to see the fishing industry lumped into part of the, of the same portfolio as a Bangladesh sweatshop. Of course. And it's actually, it's interesting because the fishing industry here is like the sole, like the, the main economic driver of a lot of what happens here in New Bedford. Um, you know, the jobs that come here, the seafood restaurants that get the catches off the boat and all of that. And what you're saying is essentially a lot of that for this family is, is more or less a drop in the bucket. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, honestly, the, I don't know, most of, uh, saddest thing, the funniest, like, I, I don't know what to It's just like a it, collection, but. you know, like that they have, just like, oh, look at these nice things that we have. You know, it's it, it drives everything that we do here, right? It keeps the lights on just about everywhere in this region. And for them, it's just kind of like, oh, well, we got this too. It's another asset right alongside, you know, the, the Bangladesh sweatshops. Yeah. We're speaking with Will Senna of the um, of the New Bedford Light, uh, who again wrote this report with ProPublica, exposing a lot of the private equity uh, ownership in the local fishing industry. So, um, you know, we talked about the catch share. Uh, we, we haven't talked about the catch shares, and I'd like to talk about that because we're talking about how it impacts, you know, the local fishermen, the, the people who listen to this, you know, the people who listen to the station, the people that go out on, you know, uh, weeks on end, risk their lives, frankly. It's a dangerous job to go out there and bring a catch home, not only for us uh, to eat, but for, you know, their families to eat as well. Um, you know, what is uh, what has happened, um, you know, to the catch shares since the private equity has come into to play here. Yeah, well, this this uh, regulatory shift, or I mean, overhaul is kind of the more accurate term here, is 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 really tied to private equity's dominance of the at least the ground fish industry specifically, which yeah. is about um, you know eleven percent of all fish caught in New England, but you know mm. a lot in a good chunk of New Bed uh, New Bedford specifically. Um, this this catch shares. I mean, it was thing. Do you do you remember? It? I mean, do you remember this discussion? Ten like two thousand ten. Do you remember discussions about it in two thousand ten? No, I was twenty one. Uh, I was working on an ice cream truck, so I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was a kid. You know, this, I, I, I had no clue uh, this was going on. But it was yeah. a really fraught era of fishery regulation, which you know people kind of glaze over when you talk about fisheries regulations. But it was it was really an interesting one. Um, it was pushed forward by really these environmental groups, um, really, which had become aligned with some of the biggest distributors of seafood. That is, you know, uh, the Walton Family Foundation, aka Walt, Walmart. Walmart. Yeah. Um, and essentially, what it did, you know, it was a charge to stop overfishing, which is important, right? Everyone can agree with that. It's, you know, we should be able to fish and not overfish. It should be a well-regulated in industry. Yeah. Um, but this, this, the shift, what it did really is change the way fishing permits what they mean essentially so you think about before 2010 fishing permits were a access right you had that you you had access based on a certain number of days at sea to go out and catch a certain number you know, amount of fish a trip limit right you could go catch eight, catch 800 pounds or 10,000 pounds in a certain number of days at sea what this uh shift did is it changed it essentially to be 
instead of days at sea, you own a certain percentage of the fishing industry, you know, and that's a percentage of the total amount of fish that, you know, federal scientists deem to be the sustainable level. So it's kind of philosophically, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it changes it from, you know, access, almost like, um, you know, public or, you know, uh, regulated access into the ocean to ownership, you know, before you even dip your net in the water, you own, you know exactly what you own. It's a yeah. private property, right? Essentially. Right. You know, at the time I read back, it was really interesting. I mean, it's compared to the enclosure of the commons, right? I mean, the you know, private, you know, I mean, the, um, you know, which created the landlord class right? In, in globally. This is 400 years ago. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a, a, you know, somewhat, um, you know, not new, but definitely new to the ocean. So, well, we're going to take a break and when we get back, uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about that a little more uh, a little bit more uh stay tuned 508-996-0500 of course taking your messages on the app chat this is marcus farrow south coast tonight i'm joined by wilson hey welcome back to south coast tonight i'm marcus uh, chris is out tonight but he'll be back tomorrow we're joined still by will Senat of the new bedford light he wrote uh, a lot he worked with pro Publica to um, put out a report that uh, reveals private equities, um, you know, and certain players in private equities uh, capitalization on the fishing industry and how that's affected the work, um, the local workforce. So we were talking about catch shares. You're getting into the sort of the regulatory state about it and um, you're going to you know, sort of wrap uh, all of that up. And then we're going to get into, you know, a particular person that I think everybody knows who's infamous that has uh, that has benefited um, from the from the shift. In, in policy yeah so i mean you know, to wrap up this you know fascinating regulatory <laughs> history um yeah i mean so it, it's it's kind of you know odd but it, you know what it did really was a slow bleed of the ground fish industry that is you know as the total amount of catch each year was reduced to stop overfishing yeah. you know that tra for these percentages right translated into fewer pounds of fish and people were really left with no option but to sell out yeah. And, you know, um, they sold out specifically to one, you know, New Bedford local, uh, Carlos Rafael. You might know him as the Codfather. <laughs> right. Who did, um, well, eventually did some federal prison time uh, for uh, some, what the federal government saw as transgressions uh, in his, um, in his, in his, uh, his operations, we'll say. What um, there was a specific quote actually uh, that he had said. Um, you, can you read it uh, in a FCC friendly way? <laughs> sure, I'll try my best. <laughs> the um, I mean, it's just for context, it's important to understand here. The I mean, you know, this it was known at the time that this you know specific regulatory model would essentially leave one company fishing at the end of the day. I mean, that that's how you know it was seen. You know, I think, I mean, the city of New Bedford, along with Gloucester, sued uh, sued NOAA and the Department mm -hmm. of Commerce to stop this from happening because they knew it would gut the New England's fishing industry. Right. You know, and um, there's, you know, it, it essentially from then on has meant that only one company owns the ground fish industry up until 2016. It was Carlos Rafael. So, I mean, he, in this quote, kind of embodies <laughs> that in quite a few ways. Uh, the quote is, so he, meaning a smaller fisherman, doesn't have the money to buy a blank quota, so he's blanked either way. He's hanging on by his shoestrings. So this is a matter of time for me to pick the rest of these blanks and just get them all out of the picture. I always had ambition to get control of the whole blank thing. And, you know, I mean, that kind of sums up what, 
Like, I mean, this regular. I mean, that's. Shipment. I mean, he's yes. called the. He's called the Codfather. It's very. Um, that is very. Uh, it is sort of like a uh, that type of of mindset. Very uh, predatory, right? And uh, I think you know you, you you mentioned this. You write about it in, in your in your um, in your report that there were local fishermen that had dreams of eventually working their way up to being a you know going from the crew to the captain to eventually owning their own boat and this essentially made it impossible right it did um yeah i mean you know it, it's very hard to buy into the fishing industry now i mean um almost impossible i mean you think of uh, a permit alone can cost half a million dollars ground i mean so you know it's up to some six million dollars for for scala a scala permit right and that's just the right to go catch fish not to mention the cost of uh, a big a boat you know capable to go do the job so yeah i mean the cost is really prohibitive um that you know yeah i mean it's it, in a lot of ways you know it, it does feel like a closing of the door of this you know old world i guess ideal of the american dream yeah. right i mean build your way up yeah and this is what we heard from a lot of the people who we fishermen we spoke to which is you know, you'll, you'll never make enough to buy, to become into the owner class. I mean, yeah. you know, the, I remember one quote here was quite specific. It was a fisherman saying they've made it unattainable to do anything other than work for them. Speaking about this Dutch billionaire family that owns Blue Harvest. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the fishing industry has been a path for immigrants for generations to ascend yeah. into, uh, you know, the ownership the of class of, of American middle class, you know, upper middle class culture. And, right. you know, that closing, I mean, like someone with the last name Raphael. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. he, I mean, he, in, in some strange way, he did embody the American dream, right. And kind of a Machiavellian almost um, mixed with Horatio Alger. I mean, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's a, right. you know, but yeah, he started as a fish cutter, right. First generation immigrant um, worked his way up to owning one boat that owned 40 boats and own most of the most of the industry exactly and it makes you think you know i mean most of the people who work in the fish houses now fish processing plants are guatemalan yeah and you know i mean that that path forward it, they've you know, been that, foreclosed from that opportunity yeah. Right? yeah so it makes you think i mean where will we be if this ascent is you know that the ladders kicked over yeah, absolutely. And, we, you know, we talked a little bit about this off air and I'd like to get into it because I've got a column that's coming out tomorrow uh, as well about this. Uh, I talked about it in the first hour, um, the 1985 to 86 fishing strike. Just a little background if you didn't hear about it. There was, a you know, essentially a, a fishing strike that happened uh, in 1985, beginning of December 1985 and February 1986 that essentially ended the organized labor uh, in the port. And... Uh, you know, it was kind of in the backdrop of the Reagan revolution, Reaganomics, and the union busting, um, the type of union busting that his administration um, empowered. Um, so how, you know, has that, uh, the lack of organized labor, how has that impacted um, and how have the results of that strike impacted uh, the, how we got here today? Yeah, so the, the fishing strike, I mean, it was 19, I think it was 1986. I mean, that was before I was, I'm assuming that was before you were born. Right? 1989, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, so, of course, we were there, but, you know, I've read yeah. up on it. I've seen articles from the Standard Times. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, um, the articles in the New York Times. And, you know, it was funny. They, the, the articles always mentioned it, it was about wages. They were fighting for more pay. Yeah. Back then, you know, and this is from the New York Times, the, the settlement, the, you know, the breakdown between owners and workers essentially, 
was uh, between 58 and 64% to the crew, whereas the, the minority was to the owners. And if you look at the way these settlements play out now, I mean, you know, that was, that was when they were unionized, and that's before the union was broken following the strike, fighting for, for, for higher wages. It's, it's, I mean, if you look at the seven cents to, you know, six forty four, fourteen cents to six forty four. I mean, it's it's it, it it's more. I, I can't crunch the numbers myself yeah, right now, right, but yeah, it, it's it's shocking. It's a lot the, less. the the you know, and it kind of does embody what is happening and the inequities of the global economy that yeah. never really does much for the working people of an industry. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know. I said, you know, there was the Reagan PACO strike that happened, uh, which was, I think, the domino effect of how organized labor has, you know, essentially been winnowed down to almost nothing. I think we got 10% union uh, union labor uh, membership in this country around something like that. And the fishing industry is important. Right. It was before we were born. So I can't even like envision uh, a unionized labor force in the port because it didn't even happen during either either of our either of our uh, of our lifetimes we're speaking with wilson of the new bedford light he published a, a story uh if you're just tuning in on the foreign capitalization uh and private equity capitalization of the um of the port of new bedford what are some other important points that you um you know about this report because it's it's very comprehensive that you um that you want to bring up for discussion yeah i mean we were just talking about uh carlos rafael yeah. right um well it's, i think it's important to understand that uh you know, I mean, essentially, we're think we're talking about this kind of labor history, the ownership, the class, essentially. And I mean, it, you know, just to, to wrap it up, I mean, the fact that Blue Harvest, which is you know owned largely by one family of Dutch billionaires, bought the vast twelve vessels and twenty seven fishing permits that gave him his you know his title as the Codfather. You know, I mean that um, you know going from a local shore crooked millionaire to a global billionaire. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's. I guess you know, it is the the trend of of what we're seeing in the world. Yeah, it's, it's frankly, I I define it personally as as terrifying. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Let's go to the phones. Hey, good evening. Thanks for holding. Oh, it's, uh, this is a great uh, a great uh, discussion tonight. Thank you. Um, yep, I, I would say that I think in many regards, I think the the people who support the fishing industry, the workers. They're base, they were basically their own worst enemy because they continually supported the same politicians in the state right. that allowed the uh, fishing owners to, number one, de-unionize the waterfront. Right. So you got rid of all the unions out of the, the waterfront. Okay. Then that allowed them to bring in the illegal alien class and undermine the American worker. Okay. The fishing people kept fishing. And let's be honest, you know, you want a boat. You want to fill that boat up every time you go out. You don't want to look at quotas. So they, in many regards, they were their worst enemy because they just kept fishing and fishing. They weren't really, um, it wasn't until the government stepped in and forced them to quotas um, that, that they were really willing to do something about it. And now we've run into this situation where it's corporate now and it'll never go back. We'll never get it back to the way it was. And it's because the, the uh, workers in that industry allowed it to happen by electing the same people. That's, that's that's my take on it. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm 100 percent wrong. If I am, tell me. But no, I mean, I think I think you're 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 right. I mean, it, it's it's honestly the the more kind of brutal side of understanding the story, which is that you know, at least you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who care about uh, the fishing industry, and not from a purely environmental 
blind way, but in a way of keeping it alive, keeping the right. jobs there. And it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was a, that was a really great call. I mean, a great insight, which is true. And yeah, I think we overlooked it in, in just kind of the dis broader discussions, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it, it makes me think back to one interview I had, um, quite, uh, you know, a, a two, two or so months ago of someone who was an advocate for the system of, of catch shares. And mm -hmm. it was, it was inter interesting because he kind of harkened back, you know, talking about, you know, we're, we're talking about what we we're just talking about, which is upward mobility. Yeah. And he said, it was funny. He said, you know, fishing history is a corporate history. Right. Yeah. And you know, this, 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 it's you know, true. independent cowboy thing that we've seen in the last a hundred years really only happened after world war two. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that that's true, but also, you know, what we saw after world war two was a great period of middle-class prosperity. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you're right. And I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to weigh. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I, I wrestle with it myself. Honestly, I don't. I don't know. It's 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 very sad because you look back and you think, you know, a lot of people in the city knew someone who owned a boat, or their dad was a captain, and you could get a deal on scallops or whatever. You know, everybody knew a guy down the waterfront. And not anymore. It, it's changed, and uh, and you know, people are still employed. They're still bringing money in, but it's it's changed for the worse. So. But uh, it's great to have local stories like this. So uh, have a good night. Thank you so yeah, much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing to talk about. You, you We talked a little bit about that. What I would say is bringing in the class of undocumented workers is, <clears throat> is like a, again, another a means of a means of exploitation, really, uh, because you're able to pay substandard wages and work, uh, you know, hours that are really untenable for, for most for most American workers. But um, they're not they're willing to basically uh give a de facto waiver of their sort of employment rights right but will they ever be able to buy a fishing boat and you know ascend <laughs> right. in those ranks absolutely not and you know just to go back to that call which i think was was a great insight mm -hmm. um you know a big part of the story is is not about we're not you know saying no one is saying deregulate the fishing you know just it, it should not be an open acts you know just like free uh domain but the um you know the, 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 the antitrust permit limit, you know, in, in the ground fish industry is 15.5%. Right. That means essentially seven companies can own the whole thing. And, it, you know, that, that is, I mean, you look at the West Coast where they have a ground fish industry and it's 2.7%. Right. You know, I mean, th this isn't, you know, a, a one or the other. It's you know, what government is there to do, which is to regulate an industry well for both the workers and economic viability of an industry. You're trying to tell me antitrust laws have become toothless and effectively, <laughs> you know, um, uh, unenforceable. I'm, I'm surprised. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Thanks for holding. Yeah, Marcus, I want to say uh, thank you for bringing your guest on. Yeah. Young man, you're doing uh, yeoman's work. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, the you. amount of time investigation that you've done. And I think you have a bright future. You can probably be uh, maybe uh, on your own. Uh, you can come up with uh, your own Get a sub stack. I'm with you about for light, and I like it here, so thank you for that. Yeah, though. well, let me just say, uh, you know, outside of the Dutch billionaire, uh, the billions of dollars that are funneling out of the city, I, I w is it fair to say that the state, too, made out like bandits while we have a city that's crumbling and falling apart, and while uh, here... Uh, us homeowners, uh, we're getting, uh, I mean, taxed uh, over a high tax rate while billions and billions of dollars are just funneling out of here. It's unconscionable how 
uh, is it fair to say the mayor knew this was going on? And other mayors about the billions of dollars that uh, we're not profit. In other words, we're not getting our share. Well, I can't. I can't blame. I don't know if we can blame that. It seems a bit out of out of a out of a yeah, mayor's I mean, control. We, we spoke with with the mayor on this, you know, and um, you know, we put this in the story, but he did flag it as a concern. The, the fishing industry, yeah. you know, I mean, you think about Route 18, right? That cuts off the city from the port. I mean, it's completely outside of municipal control. It's a it's a federal regulated industry. I mean, we've spoken since the story published to um, state officials, you know, city officials. It's complete, you know, it's tough, but it's completely outside their bound. And that's unfortunate, you know, I mean, but it's really up to the federal level. And Let me just say quickly that, uh, you know, uh, our federal delegation hasn't done, uh, hasn't done uh, us any favors. They, they haven't uh, represented us here. And it's just sad that uh, most of the younger families and people with small business are struggling just to rub two nickels together while billions of dollars are changing hands and just being funneled out of here. But, uh, you know, I, I think I've said uh, quite a bit. But thank you, young man, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks for the call. call. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and actually, going back to the to the first caller, too, um, talking about how the fishing, you know, and I hate to, I hate to blame the you know it sounds like victim blaming honestly but i talked about this a little bit the, the materials i had gotten from the fishing heritage center uh some of the old recordings that they had of uh city uh, city councilor uh, williford saying to them if you don't stick together you know you're going to uh you might as well hang it up and that's exactly what happened um and a lot of that i think is, a, is it's a cultural thing because uh, most fishermen are essentially all of them are are independent contractors. So that, that's mm-hmm. what a lot of the industry relies on, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so it's you know if you're an independent contractor, you obviously you're basically a company in and of yourself, and you're not able to you're not able to um, you're not able to uh, uh, you know collectively bargain really for anything because. Uh, it's essentially, you know, one massive company that is contracting out to hundreds, if or and thousands of of little companies, and and so the 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 local fishermen, you know, I think uh, that culture a little bit um, lends itself. The sort of sectarianism of, of it lends itself to to um, this type of of I'll say this, you know, the situation that that we find ourselves in. So we're speaking with new, uh, Will Sunout of the New Bedford Light. Sorry, were you about to say something? Uh, no, go ahead. All right. We're speaking with Will Sunout of the New Bedford Light. Actually, we're going to take, this sounds like a good time for a break, so let's take it and we'll be back. Yes. Actually, uh, it's Marcus and Will right now. I'm joined by Will Senat of the New Bedford Light, and uh, you know we were talking. If you're if you're just joining, um, you know we were talking about the work that Will did with ProPublica and New Bedford Light to expose how private equity has, um, you know, let's say squeezed the profits out of the New Bedford uh, fishing industry and sent it uh, everywhere else, frankly, but New Bedford. And uh, you were talking about how. The, you know, we talked about a couple of things, how the, you know, how the crews are essentially, you know, the, 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 co- the, 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 the cost burden, despite the fact that they own these boats, the cost burden to uh, maintain them has been shifted to the crew, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, we saw this based on settlement sheets that, you know, fishermen showed us, but, um, and, you know, they're charged for things like, you know, there was one charge $400 every trip for 
parking or offloading the company-owned vessel at the company-owned dock. Yeah. There was charges for gear, for maintenance. I mean, you know, the operating cost is the biggest thing in the fishing industry, and that's the burden's been pushed right on to the New Bedford fishermen. The the, the most interesting one, and it kind of goes back to this regulatory shift of catch shares, is a leasing. Now, so so with 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 with, with catch shares, I mean. It, it, when it translated these permits into fishing rights, right, ownership of pounds of fish before you even catch them, it, um, you know, it's not just like, you know, people owned them. They, they, they can lease them, and the, the leasing has a market value just like fish, right? So yeah. it's based on the cost of fish or what's scarce or what's valuable. And, you know, it, leasing, there's no antitrust limit on leasing, right? So we right. found that Blue, Blue Harvest Fisheries, which is this private equity-backed company, essentially owned by one family of Dutch billionaires, they own as much as 21% of some species like haddock. Um, you know, I think it was like 16% of cod. Yeah. It, it averages down to about 12% of the total industry because they have, you know, small percentages of some species they don't necessarily target. Right. But they're able, you know, in, in some way, and we spoke with, you know, people who work there um, to to kind of exceed even what they own by leasing, you know, leasing from essentially independent fishermen or companies that, uh, no longer fish. They're just kind of holding their permits. And up to 40% of the ground fish industry is held in this sort of trust in, in this like, you know, only on the leasing market. Wow. And it's it's expensive, you know, and to, to acquire these these rights. I mean, just like your apartment rent is expensive these days, right? It's the same. It's like real estate. Yeah. But, um, you know, the company has been able to, and this is the way the company's been able to expand and really dominate, like quietly dominate the industry. And that's by pushing, you know, the leasing cost onto onto f- fishermen. And we saw one settlement sheet where the the price for leasing can be as much as three thousand dollars per trip, and that's wow. that's pushed onto the fishermen. So it, it's it doesn't seem quite fair that the way private equity has been able to expand and dominate is by leasing. Yeah, it's and 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 you know, you, we talked about you know these like you said this this the. This industry, again, which drives everything, keeps the lights on basically everywhere in the South Coast, is, a, you know, a drop in the bucket for this, you know, Dutch billionaire uh, family. And and they're incurring a lot of cost. They're like, they're, they're, they're putting all the costs to these local fishermen who are literally just trying to, to feed their families that ties into, and I think that ties into a lot of the, the debate around scallop leasing. I know your, your colleague Anastasia Lenz mm, doing yeah, some great, really she's been doing some, some great reporting on that. And, and I mean, I think, I guess what, and I know that, that that's her story, but I think that's again, indicative of the broader, uh, like that is, you know, basically the 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 scallop leasing issue is is a set, is is a symptom of of the of like basically how the you know what the industry is like now, and it's it's all of that um, stuff we were talking about yeah. uh, the foreign capitalization, the 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 unmooring of corporate accountability to their workers, the winnowing down of of union uh unionized workers in general and unionized and unionized uh fishermen and and you know it's how we get to this point where we've got an 11 billion dollar industry right we've got an 11 billion dollar industry and n- virtually none of the people who keep that industry going are seeing any of the profits yeah i mean it really does i mean it's it's almost shocking how much it ties back into this history of, of catch shares right mm-hmm. i mean it uh you know, essentially what it's doing is, 
you know, people are going to be able to lease the allocations of their scallop permits. And that's, you know, the days, the days at sea. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, I mean, the biggest response we've heard from the, um, the you know, fishermen in the industry based on the story is, honestly, we told you. Yeah. Right. I mean, this, you know, for people out for myself, even who, who I do cover the fishing industry, but wasn't too familiar with these, the history of these regulations. Um, yeah, people before catch shares, I mean, I think it was Mayor Scott Lang at the time who was, yeah. you know, the mayor of New Bedford. They sued uh, Noah to stop this from happening. Fishermen right. boycotted Walmart, which was kind of a force behind this this thing. And, you know, you, you look now and, and look where where we are today, where, you know, one family of, of Dutch billionaires has folded a large, the single largest ground fish uh, permits into their portfolio, you know, and... Um, fishermen, much like journalists, are a conspiratorial bunch. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. it's uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know, and there was this you know speculation at the time that you know th this was a, a boogeyman, right? This this regulatory shift was a boogeyman, and what was most kind of jarring about seeing this private equity takeover of the port is it was honestly validating, I think, for a lot of fishermen. Yeah, you know, it was like saying that the um the the boogeyman's not only real, he's under your bed. Yeah right. Right. <laughs> yeah right and, yeah. You know, and, and eating and, your foot yeah right. yeah yeah right yeah. so it's uh yeah and you see this uh you know i guess the, the thing to, to just take away is that each you know consolidation of the industry um private equity domination it seems like the inevitable slog of of capitalism mm -hmm. but you know each step along this way is really a policy decision and right. we're right in the heat of one right now with this um the scallop leasing proposal yeah, absolutely. We're speaking with Will Senna of New Bedford Light and um, and Pro. Uh, uh, well, he wrote the story with ProPublica uh, about the fishing industry and the consolidation of industry, the foreign ca uh, the foreign and private equity capitalization, and uh, how it's at the expense of the local fishing industry. Uh, just like actually, you know, was Scott Lang back in 2010? He was the uh, John John Mitchell's direct predecessor, Scott Lang. Um, and he, he has, uh, he was a labor attorney prior to, uh, being elected to mayor of New Bedford. And he said, you know, basically when union was there, this is a direct quote and it's from the fishing heritage center. Uh, again, I checked out their exhibit um, on, you know, the history of organized labor and, uh, fishing in the, in the nine, uh, in you know, the, the eighties and seventies, sixties and seventies and said, when the union was there, you didn't have a situation where people were complaining about working conditions or complaining about the wages or anything else. He said, uh, it was a good, well-known job. The idea of what America, uh, what American would ever work these jobs. Well, the fact of the matter was there's about 700 of them. They did, and they were union. 508-996-0500, so you can get in the program. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Hey, good evening. Thanks for uh, thanks for calling. Good evening. How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Tom? Good. And Mr. Senna, you know, thank you for coming on. Uh, I was just sitting here thinking, uh, you know, as a model, not, not as a result, but as a model with a Supreme Court uh, basically... Uh, Threw a lot of water on the Environmental Protection Agency oh, yeah. uh, right. as a, as an administrative agency. Uh, would that type of of effort be worth it uh, to do the same thing to NOAA as an agency uh, to rid ourselves of these regulations well, that have been so unfair? It might have already, right? That Supreme Court decision, I think, isn't just doesn't just necessarily. I think it's a poison pill for the entire regulatory state. So uh, that might actually, um, you know, and I'm not a, and I'm not a fan of it. Right. The, me personally, I'm not a fan of the Supreme Court decision. And I know the regulatory state has sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, essentially, you know, hurt these private industry. But like you said, Will, it's not 
you know, we're not asking for. I don't. I don't think less regulation is really the the solution to the problem. It's just yeah. different I mean, types of regulation. We as journal, we're, we're we're not asking for anything, right? We're just simply pointing out. Oh, I am an opinion guy, so I'm asking okay. for things. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think I think I mean you're right. I think it, there is some some kind of parity here with the Supreme Court decision, which is, you know, th- in a lot of ways, it feels like uh, government decision has been kind of outsourced, <laughs> you know, to um, whether it's lobbyists or the biggest players in the industry or environmental organizations that really set the tone. And, you know, no, it's the job of government, of elected officials to regulate an industry that is in the best interest of the people of the United States. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it's this this thing like, oh, you know, regulate it into oblivion or just deregulate it into oblivion. Right. Both sides lead to oblivion. Right. right. I mean, we should ask for good, you know, anti-monopolistic, solid regulations that keep an industry alive and allow the people who work in it to, to prosper with it. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but this particular agency, and, and uh, excuse me, because I, I just, you know, have lost my respect for uh, for what they've done, uh, particularly going back, like you said, to the Lang administration and the fines that were being issued and the expenditure of those fines and the pay raises that internally the agency got. Uh, and it added up to $45 million, and they asked, well, what about the other $45 million? Mm-hmm. Right. find it. You know, and I think it goes back to presidential signing papers that allowed this agency to be judge, jury, and hangman uh, against this industry, and they did whatever they wanted to. And I don't think that 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 was their mission. Their mission uh, is uh, for the the protection of the natural resource, and they really screwed it up. I mean, nobody can tell me that they did their job regarding what their mission uh, is supposed to be. So I I, I think you know. We may not uh, be able to go to oblivion with a reduction of regulations, but certainly the ones that have been unfair and we could offer proof of that should be eliminated. Great call, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, that yeah, uh, it's worth noting actually um, that uh, before we take this break, it's worth noting actually that uh, NOAA is, is actually uh, a, a arm of the Department of Commerce, mm. uh, which I always thought was pretty was was really interesting. And yeah. commerce is often chaired by people who are in private equity, <laughs> including Gina Raimondo. Uh, they they always have the strangest, most eccentric billionaires at the head of the <laughs> yeah. Department of Commerce, and the, I, it doesn't make much sense. The fast food guy that was like sleeping, I think, uh, like on TV. I can't remember his name. All right. Uh, Will, thank you so much for coming on. I think we covered a lot. Uh, this is a great report. I'd encourage people to check it out at New Bedford Light, uh, at newbedfordlight.org. And uh, where can people go to follow you? Uh, uh, just New Bedford Light uh, on, on Facebook or on uh, just the website, newbedfordlight.org, or my Twitter, which is at Will Senate. Thank you for joining us, Will. Yeah, thanks, Marcus. I will see you guys in the other end of the news break. I got Brad Markey, City Council, Ward 1, Finance Chair, calling in. And we'll be taking your calls at 508-996-0500. Stay tuned.